Good morning. We're really glad you're with us, regardless of where you are on your spiritual journey. Today, we're on week five of our teaching series, Now What? Looking at how we can begin to rebuild as we emerge agonizingly slowly from this pandemic. Today, we're going to be looking at distractions, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and how we can get dangerously distracted from what really matters as we try to rebuild our lives. Now, Business Insider published an article, I think it was about five years ago, that went viral about the top five deathbed regrets that people have. And they interviewed an Australian palliative care nurse. And she said that in all her years caring for people as they die, no one ever mentioned wishing that they'd had more sex or that they'd gone bungee jumping. And that not a single person said that they wished they had spent more time at the office or nowadays on Zoom. The number one regret, well, that was not living into the dreams, living into the visions that you had for your life when you were younger. And it wasn't that as they got older, people realized that their dreams and visions were stupid or unrealistic. No, it was that they had gotten off track, that they had become distracted from that earlier vision of their life. And now that haunted them. We only get one life, writer D.H. Lawrence said. If only we could have two lives, the first in which to make mistakes and the second in which to profit by them. But there are no dress rehearsals in life. We are on stage right away. And even if we've made mistakes in the past or we feel that we've wasted maybe a period of our life, what are we to think about the last year in lockdown? Regardless, it is absolutely possible to make something meaningful and impactful of whatever the future holds for us. By looking at Nehemiah 6, we're going to see how this pragmatic and prayerful a man dealt with distractions to his vision and how this can equip us for our futures. And if you missed uh, last week, I would urge you to go and listen to it because Karen showed us that trusting God uh, to provide for our future needs, as we do that, we will discover a freedom to pour ourselves out for other people. Which makes sense, because no matter who you are watching today, God has put within you and within me a desire to be significant, to be part of something bigger than ourselves, uh, and that our, our lives have impact uh, with not a lot of deathbed regrets. And there are two easy errors that we can fall into right at the starting gates. The first is never figuring out what God's vision for our life actually is. That our hopes never extend beyond renovating the basement or passing the chemistry exam or losing uh, the baby weight. That we never inquire of God why we are put on this earth. What deeper purpose or plan might God have for us? Whether we have 18 or 88 years on this planet. And the second error, which is 
maybe more depressing than the first is that if we do discover God's vision for our lives, that we get distracted from it, that we don't follow through. And distractions of various shapes and sizes, the good, the bad, and the ugly, will slowly draw us away. Listen, I do get it. Maybe you're in the early stages of building your career, putting in uh, long hours at work, or you have young children and the days just blur from one to the next. Or maybe you're retired and you think now that vision and purpose, well, they're in the rearview mirror. I understand. And listen, I can point fingers at nobody about getting distracted from vision. I literally had to take my phone and put it in a different room when I was trying to write this sermon. But listen to what English academic C.S. Lewis has to say about distractions. We are half-hearted creatures, really, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. We are far too easily pleased. Too easily pleased with small dreams and too easily distracted from God's vision for our lives. And today we're going to look at the second error, getting distracted. Because we've already seen in this series what God's vision is for our life, at least in broad brushstrokes. Tyler walked us through a few weeks ago how God's vision for anyone's life, whether you're an Uber driver, a U of T student, a lawyer, uh, a mother on your first Mother's Day, uh, a frontline worker, God's vision for anyone's life is for us to be united with God. And Jesus neatly summed up what that daily life of union with God will look like. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And if that doesn't sound exciting enough for you, not enough to get you out of bed these days, that's only because the calibration of our desires is so out of whack, as Tyler showed us. We are too easily pleased. What we're looking at today is the second error, getting distracted, getting off track, and what we can learn from how Nehemiah dealt with that deadly poison of distraction. Now, if you've been with us the past few weeks, you'll, you'll know by now that Nehemiah was a book written about five centuries before uh, the life of Jesus, and it is a first-person memoir of how the Jewish people who had been in exile in ancient Persia were now back home in their homeland of Israel and were rebuilding their beloved capital city, the walls of Jerusalem. And like all great visionaries, Nehemiah's rebuilding project had attracted the naysayers and the critics, worried that a rebuilt Jerusalem was now going to be a threat politically, economically, to surrounding countries. And here we come to that first type of distraction, the good ones, the exciting opportunities that come your way. Verse 2, 
we read that Sanballat and Geshem, two of the loudest critics, they invite Nehemiah to the plain of Ono for a strategy meeting. Sounds potentially intriguing. Maybe they could be won over. And nothing is more effective as a cheerleader for your cause than a former critic. A good opportunity, maybe worth exploring. But Nehemiah, he just dismisses his out of hand. He didn't roll off the turnip truck yesterday, and he realizes that this is a plot to ambush and kill him. And then listen to verse 3. So I sent messengers to them saying, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop? Will I leave it to come down to you? Nehemiah's wall is almost complete. It's been a stunning success. And I know that if I was in that situation, I would totally want to take that meeting, if for no other reason than to humble brag about how I had um, built the wall in record time. If Trump actually had wanted his wall built, he should have hired Nehemiah. I personally find the good opportunities the most dangerous distractions. Letting good things get in the way of the best thing. Getting caught up on current events in the early morning, a good thing, rather than the best thing, having my time of morning prayer, of being really busy at work, spending lots of time, rather than actually being effective. What we need to do is keep in the forefront of our minds the great work that God has called us to, loving God and loving our neighbors. Our daily filter needs to be God, is this good thing that you're calling me to do? Is it an opportunity or is it a distraction? Second type of distraction, the bad ones, the naysayers and the critics. So Sanballat, public critic number one, he's tried four times to lure Nehemiah with a seemingly good opportunity. Pretense is now cast aside, and he openly plunges in the knife. Verse 5. The fifth time, Sanballat's servant came with an open letter in his hand, and this is what it said. Geshem tells me that everywhere he goes, he hears that the Jews are planning to rebel, and that is why you're building the wall. In those days, Letters were only for the wealthy. They would have been written on leather or papyrus, and they would have been sealed shut for confidentiality by clay. But we're told specifically that this was an open letter that Sanballat sent. This was a tweet. This was an interview on Oprah. This was a deliberately loud side conversation at the family dinner. An open letter so that it could be read with the accusation that Nehemiah was rebuilding the wall in Jerusalem as part of his secret plan to crown himself king of Israel, rebelling against his generous and supportive patron, King Artaxerxes of Persia. Now, depending on your job or your personality, maybe even your family, you may or may not have received much criticism in your life. And when most people receive criticism, they either hedgehog or they rhino. Hedgehog, you curl up in a ball, maybe feel sorry for yourself. Or you rhino, you see red and you come out charging and defensive. 
My family will tell you that I'm a combination of both uh, with a good uh, dose of righteous indignation thrown in for good measure. But Nehemiah, he didn't hedgehog and he didn't rhino. He evaluated the criticism, he named it as false, and then didn't let it distract him. Verse 8, it's so contemporary, you can almost hear Nehemiah's voice. Verse 8, you know you're lying. There's no truth in any part of your story. They were just trying to intimidate us. Nehemiah knew his marching orders, and most importantly, who they were from. Nothing attracts criticism like vision and purpose. And if you're rooting yourself in loving God and loving your neighbors, the criticism will come. Evaluate its merits in prayer, dust yourself off, and keep on going. Distractions, the good, the bad, and lastly, the ugly. When Nehemiah's critics can't distract him with appealing opportunities or vicious lies, the gloves come off and they go for fear. Verse 10, Nehemiah speaking. Later I went to Shemaiah who was confined to his home. He said, let us meet together inside the temple of God and bolt the doors shut. Your enemies are coming to kill you tonight. Now it was likely that Nehemiah was a eunuch. Uh, royal cupbearers usually were, that way they couldn't mess with the king's wives. Eunuchs were considered ritually unclean, though, and therefore not allowed into the temple. And so running into the temple not only would have undermined his authority as a leader, he needed to look cool, calm, and collected. Uh, Nehemiah knew that it would also have been violating the religious laws of the day but he would not be distracted by the fear-mongering. Inside any vision that we have to rebuild our lives is always going to be a kernel of fear. What if once we're all vaccinated, it's all still a big letdown? What if some of my friendships uh, can't be recovered? What if we can't rebuild our lives the way that we want? What if my kids don't catch up in school? Friends, the most frequently repeated command in the entire Bible, all 66 books, do not be afraid. It's repeated 70 times, and that doesn't even include the variants, fear not and do not fear. God has not brought us this far to abandon us. God has not sustained us through this season of COVID to then let the rest of our lives be wasted and not have meaning and purpose. Do not be distracted by the ugliness of fear of whatever the future holds. Don't let your vision of the kind of life that God is calling you to rebuild be crushed by the daily grind. Don't let opportunities or criticism or fear derail you from the ultimate joy that is being offered. As we end, during that daily grind, how do we stay focused? Now, Nehemiah wasn't rebuilding the walls so he could be crowned king. 
he was rebuilding those walls as a visible sign of God's covenant faithfulness that God could be counted on to deliver on God's promises. Therefore, there was nothing to fear. Nehemiah didn't want to be king. He knew the job was spoken for. He knew God's promise about a king that was to come, the long-awaited Messiah whose throne was going to be a cross and whose crown a ring of thorns. Jesus is the true and better Nehemiah. Like Nehemiah, Jesus left a throne room to come to a broken world. Like Nehemiah, Jesus wept over Jerusalem. And by his resurrection, Jesus offers us a vision of what our rebuilt future can be like, both in the next few months, but also for eternity. In the coming months and years, here at St. Paul's, we can help rebuild our neighborhoods and the city. We can stand in the midst of the ruins and announce the brilliance of possibility. And we undertake this rebuilding because we have before us an eternal perspective, knowing that infinite joy awaits us. The way to deal with distractions, even good ones, is to fix our eyes on Jesus. Like the arrow prayers that Nehemiah was always shooting up to God uh, throughout his day for strength. When those distractions come, the good, the bad, and the ugly, fix your eyes on Jesus. Maybe you're good with mental images, or maybe you have a, an icon of Jesus in your home, or you could uh, shoot up a Jesus-focused arrow prayer. Jesus, if this is from you, or is it a distraction? Jesus, is this from you, or is it a distraction? A prayer you can say even if you are spiritually searching. Fixing our eyes on Jesus will give us the clarity and focus that we need against distractions as we rebuild our lives with purpose and for impact. As we end, there are only two things that I can do for you now, right now. One is to help us fix our eyes on Jesus, and two, I can pray for you. So just where you are, please let me pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, life is so confusing and constrained right now. I hold up before you the St. Paul's community and all those who are searching, scattered and isolated as we are right now. Pour your Holy Spirit upon us that we would not get distracted from the great work that you're calling us to. Call us closer into your heart of love that we could radiate your love to our neighbors. Fix our eyes on the true King. Amen.